You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Hello, everyone. Good. Right. So, if you'd like to turn um, to Numbers 13 and 14, um, which you will find at the beginning of your Bible, okay? And uh, I'm going to give you a, give you a bit of a, an explanation of where, how we got to this story that we're going to be looking at. Um, so this, what we're going to be looking at in Numbers 13 happened around kind of 400 years before um, Saul and David. So we've been hearing a lot about Saul and David over the past few weeks and months. And uh, how we got to this point. So as you may know, I'm going to give you a quick rundown. Don't panic. I'm not going to go through the whole of the Old Testament. Um, so Abraham, okay, was called by God to leave Ur. Sorry, I'm just sorting myself out. And uh, and. God called him to be the father of his people, okay, the Israelites. And God called Abraham to travel and go to the promised land, a land that God was giving his people. And then Abraham um, had a son called Isaac. Isaac had a son called Jacob. Jacob had a son called Joseph. I'm, I told you I'm cutting it really short, okay. And uh, Joseph, to cut an even longer story short, was sold by his brothers to uh, Egypt as a slave. And uh, in Egypt, um, Joseph became governor. And then uh, because of that, God's people settled in Egypt. And uh, over time, the pharaoh who was looking out for Joseph died and other pharaohs came into place. And then what happened was that God's people became slaves and they cried out to God. They said, God, please deliver us from this slavery. You know, you've promised us back way back when Abraham was around that there was a promised land for us, that you would deliver us, you would create a people of your own and take us to a promised land. And, uh, and so God heard their cries and God sent someone called Moses. Moses was brought up in Egypt, he was exiled, and then he came back, another long story. And uh, Moses delivered through God's help, the, uh, God's people from Israel. And uh, you would have heard of the Exodus, and that's what that story was all about. And so here we are now, and so God's people have uh, escaped from Egypt. They've seen some incredible miracles. They've seen God deliver them from armies, the powerfulest armies of the time. They've seen God provide food, drink in miraculous ways. They've seen God um, guide them and give them a, a way to live and a law to live by. And so we find ourselves now on the cusp of entering this promised land that God had been promising the people of Israel all this time. And so it's an exciting time. You know, it's really, really exciting. This is what it's all about. This is, this is the moment um, that all of this history has been leading up to. And so what we see here is, is the people's response to that. Okay, so let's look at Numbers 13. I'm going to read quite a bit, and I'm, I'm sorry about that, um, but I think it's really good to hear the whole story. So... Numbers 13, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. When Moses um, sent them to explore Canaan, so I've jumped to 17, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, What kind of land do they live in? 
Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob uh, toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Seshai and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kedesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Look at this. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do this. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. And uh, just as an aside, the Nephilim were a people that are described in Genesis, um, half kind of angel, half human. We won't go there this morning, okay. Um, We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Numbers 14. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taking us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt, back to slavery? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, Jephunneh, there you go, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And so to cut a long story short, God had had enough. He said to Moses, I'm going to destroy these people. But Moses pleaded with God and said, please, God, have mercy on them. So verse 20 in Numbers 14, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, Not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them 
will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. So as you can imagine, when I heard Robin, wherever you are, stand up and say, I really feel God is uh, wanting us to take steps of faith. I was so encouraged this morning. And uh, that's exactly what I want to be talking about, what I want to talk about this morning. Faith and taking steps of faith. And uh, this story is, is a really kind of inspirational story to me. When I was a kid, I had a big, thick kind of children's Bible. And I vividly remember looking at the pages that describe this story and seeing um, these sort of, sort of muscly Israelite men, you know, kind of sweating under the, under the Middle East sun, carrying this garden, massive garden stake with this huge bunch of grapes hanging from it and thinking, wow, that must be some serious grapes. And uh, so I, you know, this story filled me with faith as a child. And I think as you read it, you think, yeah, there's some amazing stuff here. But also this story um, describes some serious unbelief. And I actually find it quite sobering and quite sad as well. And uh, I want to start really by asking us all a question. And I'm, one of my questions, as always, always leads to about three questions. Um, so when was the last time that your faith was tested? Or when was the last time that you felt challenged in your faith by God? And, uh, you know, maybe, um, you know, you are going through a challenge at the moment. And, uh, you know, how are you responding to that? And how did you respond? How are you responding to that challenge now? And how did you respond to that challenge in the past? And, uh, you know, it could be around knowing God. You could be here this morning and, you know, you are having some serious doubts about your faith. You are thinking, well, you know, um, God, you know, um, am I really saved? You know, I, I struggle. I, I try and persevere through my faith. You know, I sin, I let God down. Surely this time I've blown it. Or some of your doubts, some of your struggles, some of your challenges could be around provision. You know, if I give this, how will we cope? And that's probably quite apt at the moment, isn't it, with this offering that us as a church have given. You know, please, God, help us. You know, I know that I want to step out in faith, but if I do, um, you know, how am I going to eat? <laughs> or, you know, how am I going to be broke? Or decisions that we're making around our lives. You know, is it really worth persevering with these prayer times? Because um, all I ever seem to do is just persevere, persevere, and I get nothing back, and I just fall asleep most of the time. And, you know, what is going on, God? Or that house move, that relationship decision. You know, it's scary. Um, how will it work out? What's, what's, what's the land going what's to... What's the lie of the land? How is it going to work out? Or maybe actions... You know, I know that I need to say sorry. I know that I need to step out and say sorry and deal with that. Or I know that I need to step step out and do that differently next time. But will God look after me if I do that? Will he vindicate me? Will he look after me if I do that, if I make that decision? Or maybe even your existence. Why am I here? What is the point of my existence? And are you feeling challenged about that this morning maybe? And today, what I want to do is, is unpick this story a bit. I want to look at um, how the people of Israel um, faced 
a massive challenge, the next faith challenge. They had come through many miracles. They'd seen God deliver them. They had seen many incredible things. They'd seen many hardships, but many blessings. And it was as if God was saying to them, I've got one final challenge for you. And I want to see how they responded to that. I want to look at how they responded to that. And we have two camps here. We have Caleb and Joshua, who responded in a very different way to the rest of the spies, who responded in a, in a very different way to Caleb and Joshua. And I want to unpick that a bit. We see faith in action, and we see unbelief in action as well. But before I do that, what I want to do is just break down, really, what is faith. And I want to kind of look at that in a bit more detail. And I think faith often in our society, in our culture, um, kind of is um, often watered down or... Um, kind of, you know, we lose the, the, the full meaning of it, really, as, kind of, as we see it in the Bible. And I think often it can be quite wishy-washy, can't it? You know, um, you have a faith, that's good for you, but I don't believe in anything, you know. <laughs> or you have a faith, well done, uh, but I believe in science. Um, you know, faith can be a badge, can't it? You know, you hear people say, you know, I, I, um, I follow the Christian faith, the Christian tradition. Nothing wrong with that, but that's how some people describe faith. Faith can often mean an irrational belief or a commitment to something in spite of strong evidence to the contrary. So what do I mean by that? Well, how many times have you heard someone say, have faith, don't worry, something will come up, knowing full well it probably won't, you know. Or have faith in your team, have faith in West Ham or Brighton or wherever. I support Brighton and Hove Albion. They've lost the past 25 games, but have faith, they will win next time. And so faith can be kind of like a very kind of, you know, kind of wishy-washy, nondescript thing, can't it? Faith is a cool word, often used as a brand, a guitar brand, a shoe brand. I, I Googled it, you know, I, I've, I've seen it all. And so, um, you know, that's often how faith is seen in our society. But what is the Bible talking about when it uses the word faith? And what are we looking at when we see this story of faith in Numbers 13 and 14? Well, the origins of faith in Hebrew, which is what most of the Old Testament was written in, are around the words used to describe to be firm, to be established, to be steadfast, um, to regard something as true, to trust. And so when it talks about having put your faith in God, you're putting your faith in something that is firm, that is established, that is steadfast, that you can regard as true, that you can trust in. The New Testament uses the word pistis, which means, when, you, when it's broken down in, in uh, Greek, a conviction based on confidence in a person and in his testimony. So it's not just, a, and it's more than just an intellectual conviction or confidence. It's saying that when it uses that word in, in the New Testament, that you put your faith, you put your trust in something in a way that you actually rest in that person. So when it says, put your faith in Jesus... It means rest in Jesus, rest in and be confident in his, in his authority, in his power to save you, to help you, to support you. And so faith in biblical terms is evidence-based, is conviction, is firm, is commitment, and is total trust. It's completely different, really, to what the world has to say about faith. And, uh, you know, faith, I would go as far to say, is is one of the foundations of our Christian life. And so if you look at 
um, you know, how we became Christians. How did, how did you and I, you know, if you know Jesus this morning, how did that happen? Well, you repented on one hand, so you, 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 made, you acted, you repented of your sin, but you also put your faith in Jesus. And Acts, Paul in Acts 20 verse 21 says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we put our trust, our confidence in Jesus when we became Christians. We're justified by faith. Romans 5 verse 1, Romans 3 verse 28 um, says that our legal standing, our justification is by faith. Our salvation is a gift of God. It's by grace. It's free. It's out of God's love but it's received in faith. Jesus spoke about faith so much. Jesus loved people and responded to people who acted in faith. So you, you hear about the centurion who, um, who, who said, you know, my, my, one of my servants is ill, but you don't need to go there, Jesus. You know, just send the word and he will be better. And Jesus was astounded by his faith and said, you know, there's, there's not many people around who have that kind of faith. And... Uh, you think about the, the woman who was bleeding um, for 12 years, the Bible describes, and how she knew that if she just touched Jesus' um, uh, cloak, um, sorry, I'm having a problem with my microphone here. It's my, I said earlier, it's because um, I've got no hair. It just slips. There you go. <laughs> Has anyone got any hair that I can, I can borrow? <laughs> there you go. Right. I think that would be all right. Yeah, so this, the woman touched Jesus' Jesus's cloak, and she knew that that would be enough, and she was healed. And Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? And he said to the woman, Your faith has healed, has healed you. Jesus loved people who stepped out in faith. But Jesus also challenged and, and really kind of came down quite hard, really, but in a, in a gracious and loving way, I would say, to people who lacked faith, to his own disciples when they were panicking and, and running around like headless chickens in the boat in the storm. Jesus turned to them and said, you know, why, you know, wh- why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. You know, it's as if, like, do you know who's in the boat with you? Come on. And then when he visited his, town of Nazar- his hometown of Nazareth and people just rejected him, the Bible says that he did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. And faith also is active in our ongoing Christian lives, isn't it? So Paul urges us to live by faith and not by sight. Um, Faith comes from hearing the word of God, which is why it's so important to read the word of God, to get into the scriptures. Um, James um, describes how, uh, reminds us that true faith leads to actions and that your faith is completed by your actions, actually. Not our salvation, I'll come back to that later, but true faith is completed by our actions. And then in, uh, James also says that, that the poor can be rich in faith. And Timothy reminds us that the young can set an example by their faith. And so faith and putting your trust in Jesus is for all. It's not uh, a hierarchy. It's not um, you know, for, ri- for rich people. It's not for people who know a lot. Anyone can put their faith in Jesus and see uh, God blessing them in that. And so faith is a foundation in our Christian life. And I think it's important to hear that and see that before we look at the story again. So let's go back to the story in Numbers. And what I want to do is kind of unpick it. I want to look at um, five ways, really, that we can uh, act in unbelief. 
and then five ways how we can respond in faith. And I want to look at, well, how did the ten spies and, the, and sadly, the majority of the people respond to this faith challenge of the promised land? But then how did Joshua and Caleb respond in faith? So the first thing is that unbelief um, often um, is, is described really by, you know, you can, you can recognize it by fear, by, by foreboding, by worry, by doubt. And so uh, you see in verse... Uh, 28, the people said, but the people who live there are, and then they use the word in thir- the words in 31, we can't. There was a sense of fear in the people. They, they were scared of what was ahead of them. Um, but Caleb responded, but the Lord is with us. Come on, don't be afraid of them. God is with us. He's bigger than, than, than those people, those tribes those, that we've seen in the promised land. And often fear can stop us from taking steps of faith. You know, maybe it, it fills you with fear to talk to your neighbor about Jesus. Maybe it fills you with fear to um, think, well, actually, I can do really well in this job. Um, I can go for a promotion. You know, I can succeed in this, in this workplace. Maybe it fills you with fear when you think, you know, I've got to give some money and, and I'm not entirely, how are we going to do this? But I know it's the right thing to do. But faith, and as we've seen here, faith demonstrated, says, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of those giants that get in the way. Another uh, example of unbelief, in verse um, 32, it says, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said that the land we explored devours those living in it. We saw the Nephilim there. And whether whether they saw the Nephilim or not, I don't know. Um, But what they are doing is exaggerating. And they're creating, aren't they, a sense of drama. And uh, often, unbelief can do that, can't it? It exaggerates the problem. It creates a sense of drama almost. But Caleb responds with, we can certainly do this with a sure, down-to-earth, grounded response. We can do this. So I just want to challenge us all this morning. Don't allow ourselves, don't allow yourself, don't allow yourself to be lied to or be exaggerated to or even being exaggerated yourself. We went to a church in Chichester um, a few years ago and we lived in Portsmouth. So if anyone knows the geography of the south of England, Portsmouth and Chichester are about half an hour's drive away. And uh, for a couple of years we, we felt it was right to move to Chichester but we were put off really um, and scared to do that, and fearful of that, but, and mainly because of what people were telling us. People were saying to us, um, Chichester is a really expensive place, house prices are extortionate, you'll never be able to live there, you know, it's only for, you know, kind of like high earners, which we weren't. Um, and it stopped us from even exploring that house move, until one day we were challenged, and we felt that God wanted us to explore and to look at and to, to, to make a, a step of faith and try and see if we could afford to live there. And as it turned out, we could. And it was people's exaggeration, it was people's sense of drama that stopped us from exploring and taking steps of faith. Another um, example of unbelief is in um, verse 32, where the people um, said, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. There was a sense of self-pity, wasn't there? Of self-deprecation. 
You know, I'm nothing. We can't do it. Look at us. Look how pathetic. Look how weak we are. We can't do this. Despite of the fact that God had destroyed an Egyptian army pursuing them, despite of the fact that God had sent manna from heaven, had sent water from a stone, had delivered them so many times. We can't do this. Look at those tribes. Look at the Canaanites. Look at the, look at the Amorite. Oh, and there's Nephilim there as well. Oh, my word. We can't do this. But look at the faith response. If the Lord is pleased with us, this is in verse 8, he will lead us into that land. God is pleased with you, okay? And we are his children. We've been adopted into his family. And whatever, you, whatever anyone has said about you, whatever you might think about yourself, the truth is, is that God has created you to do good works in Christ Jesus. That's what it says in Ephesians 2 verse 10. And uh, someone might look a bit better than you. They might, might seem more gifted than you. Um, they might, uh, you know, say all the right things. But the truth is, is that God has called you for a purpose. Every one of you in this, church, in this building has a purpose, has a place in this family. And uh, so don't listen to the lies. Listen to the truth. A second, uh, sorry, the fourth unbelief is in verse 2, where the people was said, if only, if only. And I call this the grass is greener syndrome. Um, if only, you know, we were back in Egypt. If only, you know, we could, you know, we were back in slavery. I mean, it's madness, isn't it? You know, if only, we, we, we prefer it in this wilderness, Moses. You know, we like living in deserts. It's great here. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. And the faith response was, we should. Come on. This land flows with milk and honey. You know, look at what God is giving us. Look what's in store for us. Look what, is prepare, what God is preparing for us. And often I think in our lives, and, and I think particularly at this time in this church, you know, in, this, in, the, in the, um, the journey of this church, we can look back, can't we? And we can think, oh, I wish it was a smaller church. I wish I knew everyone. Or, you know, it was great when we had one service. Oh, it was great when we had two services. Oh, no, we're going back to one service. Oh, no, we're going to this building. Oh, it's a rough area. Oh, there's no car parking. Oh, no, what am I going to do? You know, and all those kind of things. And what is God saying? God is, God is laying out a land flowing with milk and honey for us. So how are we going to respond to that? What's our faith response to that? And then finally, um, unbelief. In verse 3, and this is quite sobering. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? They started to blame. They started to question God. They started to, um, you know, kind of to question and take their eyes off God and say, you know, God, what are you doing here? And what was Caleb, Joshua, and Moses, and Aaron's response? Well, they fell face down. They tore their clothes. That's serious. They... They knew that the people had gone too far now. They were messing around with, with someone who you shouldn't mess around with. And they knew that they had to do something drastic. They were crying out to God, come on, come on people. They were saying to the people, stop this. This is serious. Don't question God. Don't reckon with God. And then I think in our lives, we can often do that, can't we? And uh, we can subtly do it. We can overtly do it. You know, surely we won't find ourselves blaming God. You know, and I just think about some examples. You know, God, why did you make me like this? You know, I look in the mirror. 
oh, look at that. You know, I'm, I, it's funny, but I know people that say that, and I, you know, I've heard people say that. God has made you to be you. God has created you to be you in his image. And it's not obviously about your looks. It's about who you are as a person, isn't it? And God has made you a new creation. Or, God, I reached out that time and nothing has happened. You know, and I'm just sick of it, God. What are you doing? What's the point of going on? Or, God, I gave that money and now the car's broken down. What are you playing at, God? You know, what is going on? And this is exactly what the people of Israel were doing. And I've been there. I've questioned God at times. And I'm not proud of it. And we need to check our attitudes, don't we? Let's respond like Caleb, Joshua, Moses, and Aaron. And let's take God seriously. Let's take God for who he is. Let's take God for who he says he is. He is our provider, as Rob was saying earlier. Um, you know, he will look after us. He cares for you. So in any step of faith, there is a decision and there is a consequence. And that, that applies to every level of life, really, doesn't it? So... Um, this is a bad example, but I'm going to give it anyway, okay? <laughs> so if you're driving down the street, okay, and uh, you're happily driving along and you see a green light, okay, and uh, what you do is, is you make a decision. Because you are taking a step of faith going through a green light, aren't you? Because it could go horribly wrong, okay? I don't need to explain why. But you, take, you make a decision. You make a decision based on your highway code. Green light means go. You make a decision based on the council, and, uh, you know, that they probably maintain and look after the green lights and that everything will be okay if you go through that green light. You make a decision based on your past experiences. You make a decision on what people, you know, people who trust you have told you. You know, that, that if you go through a green light, that means that you will go through a green light and everything will be okay. And so you make a decision and you go through your green light. And often, you know, the consequences are fine, aren't they? In fact, most of the time, you get to wherever you need to get to. Um, but... Um, you sometimes, you know, what, well, what about if you, if you looked at that green light and you thought, well, actually, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to question whether, that's, whether I should go through that green light or not. Um, I'm going to, um, I don't believe the highway code. It's, it's rubbish. It's boring. You know, I don't believe the council. They can't even collect my bins every week. So why should I believe that they can sort out their green lights? And in fact, my driving instructor didn't really like me anyway, so I don't believe his wisdom and what he told me. So I'm just going to stop at this green light. And there would be a consequence, wouldn't there, to that as well. At best, you would probably um, you know, get, get hooted at and shouted at. At worst, you'd probably get someone at the back of, in the back of your car, wouldn't you? So we all make a decision. And we all, when it comes to steps of faith, and there's always a consequence. And uh, what you see here with the people of Israel, is that they made a decision. And, uh, they, uh, the, the, and uh, uh, Caleb and Joshua decided to put their trust in God. But the majority of those people um, decided that they were not going to put their trust in God. And you can see the consequences as you read on. And God loved them. He forgave them, as we've heard. But there was a consequence to their decision. And one of the consequences was, was that they did not enter into the promised land and that they missed out on all of that history, all of that expectation, all of that waiting and longing. They missed out on it because they decided that they weren't going to 
make that they weren't going to trust in God. And there was a consequence to their decision. And it's the same with us. Our salvation is secure. But we can miss out on what God has for us as people, individually, corporately as well, as a church, if we ignore what God is saying to us, if we ignore um, the, the calling on God, of God on our lives, if we ignore uh, the steps of faith that God is asking us to take and challenging us to do. And we can miss out on it now, and we can miss out on it in eternity. And this is why Jesus was so quick to challenge when he saw unbelief. It wasn't because he was being nasty. It was because he knew what was best for his people. He knew what was in store for his people. And, uh, you know, remember, Jesus came from eternity. Jesus um, knew what the riches of God meant. And he knew what was in store for people who followed him. This is why the apostles urged us um, in Hebrews 10, verse um, 35. It says, so do not throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded. Paul, James, Peter, they urged us, don't give up, overcome, come on, step, take steps of faith because you, it will be richly rewarded. Make the decision to do this now. And this is why Caleb and Joshua, Moses and Aaron were so upset, were so incredulous almost. You can almost kind of hear it in their voices, can't you? When the people rebelled, when the people started to moan and grumble and say, we can't do it, look at the giants, look how bad it is, look how awful it's going to be. You know, they said, come on, the way might be hard, but there is so much more blessing. Joshua and Caleb had seen a glimpse of it. They'd been to the promised land, they'd collected the grapes, they'd seen the land, they'd seen how fertile it was. They were like, come on, let's do this. And um, Jesus said that... You, don't, you, you only need faith as small as a mustard seed to change this world. And in Matthew 17, verse 20, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And, it goes, and I want to go back to my kind of original question, really. So what steps of faith is God calling you to over the next few months of your life? What has God been speaking to you? What is God saying to you? What is God challenging you about? You know, are we going to take uh, Jesus and God, you know, Jesus for who he is and what he says he is, or are we going to listen to the lies and look at the giants? And I'm not necessarily talking about um, massive things. I might be for some of you, you know, like moving house or, um, you know, kind of relationship issues or whatever. I might be, but I'm also talking about the smaller things of life. So deciding that when the topic comes up again, that you will um, say to the, the, your, your neighbor, yes, I, actually, I do believe in Jesus, and this is what I believe in. Or next time someone tells you that, you're, that they're not well, that you will say, yeah, actually, can I pray for you? Or next time your child behaves like that, that you won't shrink back, but you will... Do what you know is right. And, uh, you know, will you take those small steps of faith that will lead you on into what God has got for you? So to finish, I just want to ponder on a couple of things. First thing is that faith is trust. So as we've been hearing, faith isn't wishy-washy. Faith is about trusting in God, who we can 
completely depend on. So I just just want you all to know this morning that you can completely trust and put your confidence in Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He was there at the beginning. He was there at the end. He was there at the beginning of your life. He'll be there at the end of your life. He demonstrated his perfect love to us. He's not just words. He, he demonstrated his love. He resurrected, and he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father in all authority. You can, can, you can totally depend on Jesus. You can put your faith in Jesus, your faith and your trust in Jesus, and you, you will not be let down. Joshua and Caleb got this, and are we going to get this this morning? And then also, finally, faith leads to and requires action. James, in, his, uh, in James 2, verse 17 to 22, describes faith as, um, he says, faith isn't, faith isn't faith if you don't do anything about it. It requires an action. I want to read a, a quick story to you about John Wimber. Uh, John Wimber was a man uh, who, who died in, in the uh, early 90s, but he planted many churches. If you've ever heard of or been to a vineyard church, that will be a John Wimber, John Wimber started that movement. But he was also known for, for uh, seeing some miraculous healings and some amazing miracles happen. And when he became a Christian, um, he became a Christian. He was converted from a life of drinking, smoking, drug taking. Um, and uh, it says, when he found, let's read this to you, when he found Christ, he heard the Bible stories about Jesus performing great miracles and innocently asked at church, so when do we get to do this stuff? Upon being told that they didn't go in for such things and that uh, church was just about Sunday services, Wimber replied, you mean I gave up all the drugs for that? So sometimes, sometime later, he felt challenged by God to preach about healing from Luke's gospel. So he did. And faithfully, every week he preached. Not only did he preach on the subject, but he offered prayer ministry to anyone who had a need, especially those who were sick. And nothing happened. Nobody was healed, and if anything, some people got worse. Wimber argued with God, and you can see the pattern here, can't you? You know, God, what are you doing? He argued with God about this, and God challenged him. Are you going to preach your experiences or my word? Are you going to stand on the truth, on, what, on, on my word that you can trust in? So he kept on preaching the stories of, of the healing miracles, He continued to offer prayer ministry for anyone in need after the services. And then it all changed. Healings began to happen. The trickle became a stream, which became a river. And so John Wimber stepped out in faith. He knew God had spoken to him. He knew that he could rely on Jesus. And he stepped out in faith. There were some rocky patches where he questioned, but he was always reminded, yes, this is what this is, what, this is what Jesus can bring to people's lives. And eventually, he entered into that promised land, didn't he? He saw people healed. He saw people being set free. And so faith this morning requires action from us. What has God called you to? What is God speaking to you about, challenging you about this morning? And are you going to take a step of faith? Are you going to put your trust in God and take a step of faith? For some of you... That might even mean coming to know God, coming to know Jesus. So some of you might be here this morning for the first time or just coming along interested, thinking, you know, I've got some head knowledge, but 
I'm not yet there at that relationship stage. I want to know, I want to have a relationship with God. And uh, 1 John 1 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so we need, so if that is you, you need to take a step of faith. You need to take some action. You need to come to God. You need to confess. And you need to say to God, yes, I want to know you. And the promise is, is that he will forgive you. And he, you, you can know him in relationship. So to close, what I want to do is just read some verses from Proverbs, which really nicely um, kind of sum up what I've been uh, looking at this morning. And I'm not asking anyone to do anything crazy here this morning. Um, but I'm asking you to consider, what steps of faith do I need to take in my life? And, uh, you know, it's, it's impossible to know exactly what will happen, but we can trust in God, and we know that he will look after us. So Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. So let me pray. Yeah, Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you so much that we can trust in you. Thank you that we uh, come to a God who is reliable, a God that is steadfast, a God that never lets us down, a God that will always look after us and see us through. And I just uh, pray, Father, for us all in this room, that as we look uh, forward in our lives, and whatever you are speaking to us about, whatever you are challenging us about, whatever we know, whatever steps we know we need to take, I pray, Father, that you will help us to take these steps and uh, to be assured that we are in the safest of hands. I pray that you will dispel unbelief from us, fear and worry and doubt and exaggeration and drama and lies. And I pray, Father, that you will fill us with faith, a faith that is trusting firm, secure in you. And I pray, Father, that we will, you know, people, everyone in this room, Father, will experience uh, new heights, Lord God, of your blessing, a promised land, you know, in their lives, Lord Jesus, of all that you have in store for us as individuals and as a church, I pray. Come and meet with us, I pray, this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.